you so much, Donnie. And we are blessed. Amen? Amen. We are very blessed. We are. All right. Very good. I thought the uh, pianist was exceptionally cute tonight. Her little cute pink shoes on. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, tonight we want to talk about, go and take your Bibles. We're going to be in, uh, mostly in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 tonight. It's come out of launch scripture. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5. And we want to continue thought. You know, this morning the, the key thought, one of the big key thoughts was, is that, you know, back when sin came into the world, we had an extinction level event. And that, again, it's so huge that every person ever born died spiritually. And that's why it's an extinction level event. And how that God did something about that, and he had an eternal life event, and that's what the cross was all about. And, and again, it's a joy to teach about that this morning. But you know, my question is this, and that's where we're going to go tonight. How do you live after the second Ellie? The first Ellie was the one extinction level event. The first Ellie was where man sinned, men died. And then secondly, but how do we live after the cross? And in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5, we kind of get that. We get several things in this passage. We talk about um, sin. We talk about fellowship, Donnie, one with another. We talk about those kind of things. But how do we live? And it's so important we learn this for two reasons. You know, I, I'm learning this, and, and I think it says it in the scripture somewhere. I'm learning that the keeping of commands after I'm saved, it's not about appeasing God. It is not about appeasing God. I have God's favor by his amazing grace. I've got that. You know, a lot of the keeping the command thing is for my benefit. The best life I will ever live is as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's a good place for an amen. Because some of you, you know, we wrestle. And whether it's, whether it's the, the sins that we talk about, like drug addictions and sexual abuse and sexual sins and those kind of things, you know, whether it's those kind of things we talk about, or whether it's the lying and, and the cheating and stealing. Or whether it's the forgiveness and bitterness thing. Our life is better. Our life is better when we choose to obey the commands of God. So life after Ellie involves that. And again, hear me clearly. Because I, you know, it's funny. I, I, there was a time I would preach the scriptures like this and never worry about it, Dave. Never worry about it. But I worry about it so much now because we've been so taught that somehow our ability to keep the rules somehow makes God happier with us. That we, He loves us more when we keep the rules. And that's just heresy. He loves us perfectly as we are in Christ. As we are in Christ. So in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5, he starts out by telling us a little bit about the God who created the second Ellie for us. The second, uh, the eternal life event. He says, this is the message... We have heard from him, and we proclaim it to you. We heard it from Jesus, and now we proclaim it to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, we really need to grab that, because we, we wonder, what is the big deal about sin? Why is sin such a big deal to God? Because light and darkness, light representing the holiness of God, and darkness representing the sinful nature of man, the sin in this world, they are totally incompatible. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Listen to this from one of the commentaries I studied. Life represents, excuse me, light, yes. Light represents what is good and pure, true, holy, and reliable. Light reveals, light shines. God is so completely light 
that in him is no darkness at all. So the first thing you need to know is that we serve a very holy God. A very holy God. Sin is totally offensive to him. He is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And again, the, the nature of, of the beast in this world is darkness. Um, the scripture we used this morning from John chapter 3 verse 19 says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. That was Christmas. That was Christmas. I, I want to get that word in there because I, I, I love talking about you know, the fact that you know, the first Christmas was all about Jesus becoming flesh and coming to the world. And the first Easter was all about his sacrificial death. So when it says light came into the world, that was the first Christmas when Jesus became man and was born into this world. And men love darkness rather than light. We saw that. That's why the crucifixion was necessary, and that's why it occurred. Okay? Men love lightness rather, darkness rather than light because why? Their deeds are evil. The deeds are evil. So the truth is, even though we live in a, in a, in a broken world, we can live saved in this broken world world. John 1 verses 4 and 5 said, in him, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now let me, let me pause here. How many of y'all are just a little bit befoggled about culture today? Anybody with me? Just befoggled. That's what seems to be the word today. Uh, I think I used it this morning. You know, we're so befoggled by the, the way culture is acting and responding today. Keep this in mind. Now, tell me if I'm true, um, from right or wrong, true or false. The smallest light defeats all the darkness in the world. Now, think about that. That's true practically and spiritually. You can be in the darkest coal mine, 350 feet underground, with no light whatsoever, and light a small candle, and the darkness has to flee. I'm telling you, that's how it is with God. He is light, and the darkness cannot overcome the light. We are assured the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ personally and corporately in our lives. Now, verse 6, it says this. If we say, now watch, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness. Now, have you understood that even though that we've been redeemed, we do still sin? We, we still do sin. It's just true. We do. Okay? So, so if we say... Now, notice it doesn't say, if we say we have relationship with God, okay, while we walk in darkness. It says, well, we have fellowship. So Christians do sin, okay? And, but the deal here is, is the believer, the person is saying, Oh, I'm right with God. I, I love Jesus. I, I, let's sing that song again. Oh, how I love Jesus. And then you go out and you hate your neighbor, you hate your wife, you hate your brother, you lie, you steal, you cheat, you're committing adultery. There's something wrong with that. It's very... <laughs> Hypocritical, if nothing else. And maybe an indicator of something worse than that, but, but it's hypocritical, if nothing else. So John says if we, have, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We lie. Now, y'all, listen. We're, can, can we speak? We're church people tonight. We're, we're the Sunday night crowd. And the really spiritual ones will be back Sunday night or Wednesday night. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's how we change it sometimes. Just kidding. But, but, you know, I want you to know this, that... that 
When we say we're in fellowship with God and there's this garbage in our lives, and we say we're in fellowship, we're just lying. We're lying to ourselves. We're lying to each other. It says we lie and do not practice the truth. To say, one, to say it is one thing, to do it is another. If we're going to be walking in fellowship with God, we will not do those sins. And when we are sinning, that fellowship, that fellowship, not the relationship, that fellowship is broken. He says in John 8, 12, John really liked this stuff, this darkness stuff. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, real quick, can I go back to verse number 5? This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, keyword follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You can't follow Jesus and walk in darkness. Because in Jesus, there is no darkness. He's the light of the world. If you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to be in the light, and you can't follow Jesus if we're walking in darkness. You know, have y'all, have y'all rode the Tunnel Hill thing? Any of y'all? Anybody? Yeah, Tuck Care, you have. You know, have you ever noticed something? It's really amazing. You know, it, you, you walk in that tunnel, riding that tunnel, and, Wilma, didn't you run into the wall one time? Was it you who ran into the wall one time, or was it somebody else? One of our senior adult ladies ran into the wall. It's not a good idea. It's really not. No. Huh? It is. That's, that's where I'm going with this story. You know, that tunnel, it's, I don't know how long it is. Carrie, how long is that tunnel? The boy seemed longer than that. It's in eternity to me. But you go into that tunnel, and you can see light at the end of the tunnel. That's, yeah. It's, but you see it, don't you? So I remember distinctly, Carrie, going into that tunnel and going, this isn't too bad. This isn't too bad. This isn't too bad. Judy, can you see? I can't see. And the more you went into the darkness, the darker it got. Before long, you're overwhelmed with the darkness. We left the light and into the darkness. And praise God, you do come out the other end. And as you get closer to the other end, it gets lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. Well, before we know it, if we, if we find ourselves dabbling in sin, we're going to find ourselves getting overcome by darkness that God never intended us to be overcome with. How do you avoid that? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the way to overcome darkness is to follow closely to Jesus. Now, he says in verse 7, if we walk in the light, following Jesus, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, now question, who's the one another here? Who's the one another? We have fellowship with one another. Well, actually, there's a dual meaning, and both of them are so important. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the first one another is me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. We have fellowship one with another. As I walk in the light with my Savior as He is in the light, we have this fellowship together. 
But in order to have that fellowship, you've got to walk in the light. When you start walking in darkness, that fellowship is separate. Not the relationship. The fellowship is broken. But isn't it true also that when we walk in the light as he's in the light, we also have fellowship one with another. One with another. Us. Is it not true that the more a church corporately walks together with Jesus, the less friction there is? Isn't it true that the more a church follows after the Lord Jesus Christ and walks in the light, that, that we have fellowship, this, the fellowship is sweet? My brother Tim went fishing up in Canada, was gone all week. He said it was so good to come back this morning and experience the worship and the teaching of the Word, to be with family, to be with friends again. Isn't it true that, that the more we are walking in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we have fellowship one with another? And again, it's indicative of the health of the church today. Now, look what I just said. It's indicative of the health of the church today with so much squabbling going on in churches in America. It means that somebody's not walking in the light. I'm very grateful. 17 years I've walked with you guys. And I, I don't mind telling you I've done stupid so many times. I quit counting as a leader. I, was, I had stupid written all over my face too many times. We've gone through some difficult times as a church family. But you know what? Here we are 17 years later still enjoying the fellowship one with another. It's a pure testimony to God's grace that we don't have to be perfect with one another to have fellowship with one another. Well, all we have to do is love one another, we forgive one another, and we walk with Him. We walk with Him. You know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. It just popped in my head. There's so many times I tell you that I really think one reason God has blessed our church financially is that we have been consistent in giving money away. And I think another reason why God, that, that, that another attribute of that is the fellowship that we enjoy. I'm telling you, as long as we're serving others, we're not worried about each other. If we're serving others, we're not worried about each other. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So as I walk with my Savior in fellowship, as we walk together in fellowship, we enjoy the amazing grace that God provided. And His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Well, then John kind of shifts gears in verse number 8 and says this, And if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Because the bottom line is we do sin. I know. I'm pretty good at it. So if we say that we, do, we don't sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But what happens if we do sin and when we do sin? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He's faithful, He's true, and He's just. He's the just and the justifier to forgive our, us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, my brother asked a really good question the last time we talked about this, one of the brothers in the church here asked a question. So, and I mentioned that night that our sins, when we're saved, were all forgiven. So he said, why do I need to confess my sins? And this commentary really put it in good words. I'll read it, but I also want to make a couple of comments. Here's, here's a chunk from the commentary. We confess our sin out of respect and love 
for the person we have sinned against, namely God, Jesus Christ. God forgives our sin, purifies us from all unrighteousness, and restores us to his fellowship. We need, now here's, that, here's the word I really liked. We need judicial, judicial forgiveness only once. We need parental or family forgiveness whenever we sin. So that's why we confess our sin. Judicially, the payment, the penalty for my sin was paid for. when I re- It was paid for on the cross. I personally received that when I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. So on, on October the 26th, 1975, judicially, because God's the judge, judicially, he declared me clean before him. He declared me not guilty. My, the penalty for my sin was paid. One-time deal. One-time deal. But I confess my sin daily as I commit it, so the fellowship, the fellowship with God made stay pure. Once again, I married Judy one time. And when I mess up with her and, and you know, doesn't, don't treat her right or whatever it is it might be, you know, I don't remarry her, but I do tell her I'm sorry. And so we keep that fellowship with God sweet. So it is important. When he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, Ephesians 1.7 says it well as far as the penalty of sin. It goes, we have redemption to him. Anyone remember how many people were slaves in, in, the, in that culture that Jesus was raised in and the month following? Over 50% of people lived in slavery. They were slaves. They knew the value of redemption. So, so when, when John said, or Paul said, we have redemption in him, they understood that being paid for, being bought off the slave market of sin. We have redemption in him through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. How many? Our trespasses. All. All our trespasses. The penalty was paid. According to to the lavishness, the riches of His grace that He lavished on us in all wisdom and understanding. So I'm grateful that judicially my sin was paid for. But then to maintain our, my fellowship with God so that we walk in fellowship light to light, then I confess my sins as they become apparent in my life. And by the way, you need to do that. Can I just tell you, as, as a good sinner to, to another sinner, you don't need to wait till the next morning. When you know you mess up, you can talk to God as you're walking down the sidewalk, driving the car. Amen. Tell God, it's, God, I was wrong. That shouldn't have come out of my mouth. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have taken a second look. Just tell God right there, God, I am sorry. I'm going to turn from that sin. I don't want that to happen again in my life. I turn from that. You can do that right there and right then, and you should. So then he goes back to verse number 10, and then he just says it again. Now, now, if we say we've not sinned, if we say we've not sinned, we're making God a liar. We're making God a liar, and His Word is not in us. And it's a pretty pious thing to think that you're good enough, but you don't sin. It's a pretty pious thing to say you don't sin. Some people, again, gauge their spirituality and their debt by how often they do religious things, religious rituals, wrote rituals. But it's not. It's not. And God says, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his truth is not in us. Now, 
If we do sin, good news. Look at the next verse. We continue in chapter 2, but really continues the discussion. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. His desire is, is that we sin. Now, you do understand sanctification, don't you? You do understand that, don't you? Okay, here's the deal. The day I trusted Jesus Christ my Savior, all right, to share, judicially, the penalty for my sin was paid. And personally, I believe, past, present, future, my sins were forgiven. The penalty of my sin was paid. Now, sanctification is the process as I journey through life, okay? I'm living out God's goal of mine through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I journey to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what sanctification is. Practically being lived out. Positionally, I'm sanctified today. I, I'm sorry if I'm confusing you. Positionally, you know, the penalty of my sin was paid. I am in Christ. Practically lived out every day through life, through trusting Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to become, He wants me to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And we're not going to be perfect. So He says, you know, I'm writing these things that, so that you may not sin. Because God's goal will never have sinless perfection. But I will. On, in December, I, I told you I wasn't going to mention this weight thing again, but here I am talking about it again. In December, I went to the park and I walked. I walked a mile and a half and it took me about 30 minutes. And when I got home, I was whooped. Today, I can walk five and a half miles and do it very fast and get home and I'm whooped. But I'm doing five miles. Did that happen overnight? Do you think one day I woke up and said, Ta-da! I'm going to walk five miles at almost five miles an hour. Nope, sure didn't. I walked a mile and a half. Then I walked two miles. I got a little faster. Walked two and a half miles. Got a little faster. Walked three miles. And I kept going up to where I am now. That's how sanctification is. Now, I will never be perfect in my spiritual walk. But... I'll become more and more and more like Christ. And if we're not becoming more and more like Christ, we need to ask ourselves, why? We need to find out why. Why, are, why is this stuff in our life that we're allowing it to stay there and we're not getting out of the candy? Why are we doing that? That's a very valid question. If we look back last year and we're the same way we are this year, you ask the question, why? Why? It's, it's a valid question. So I write these things to you, he says in verse 1, that you may not sin. But here's the good news. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a lawyer. We have a mediator. We have an in-between guy with the Father. And guess who it is? Jesus Christ the Lord. If we do sin, we've got the advocate who comes on our behalf. And here's our word again from this morning. He is the propitiation. Now, I want you to learn these two words. Again, not so you'll be smart, but you'll appreciate what Jesus Christ did for you. And by the way, like I say, it's funny when these theologians argue about this stuff, and, and they say there's been more ink spilt over this. You know, I just chuckle, and I just go past that. I go, well, listen, if you're still arguing about it, I'm not going to worry too much about it. But, but the word expiation, expiation, remember it means removal of guilt by the payment of a penalty. Removal of guilt by the payment of a penalty. So when John says he's the propitiation, he's the expiation, okay? He is the, he paid the penalty that
that my guilt might be removed. Hey, I, I want to have a little fun, Tim. Let's ask a question. How many think you stand guilty before God if you've been born again? You're not. He sees you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. By the blood of Jesus Christ, he declares you not guilty. Declares you not guilty. How about that? The guilt, oh, the guilt has been removed. The guilt, I'm going to give you something that's worth the price of admission tonight. If you ever see me walking, and I'm talking to myself, maybe so. I do that a lot. But I might be praying. Here's what came out of my mouth. I'm walking along in the park, as a matter of fact. I can tell you where I was. I'm walking along, and I say, God, I feel so guilty about some of the things in my past. And here's what came out of my mouth. I feel guilty about some of the things in my past, a past that doesn't even exist anymore. A past, a past that doesn't even exist anymore. We let all this junk guilt come up and God has forgiven it. It's under the blood. It's taken away and we're wasting guilt genes on it where it doesn't even exist anymore. Ooh, shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. How powerful. We have this advocate. He's the propitiation. The guilt has been removed. And not just, okay, well, God, God didn't just say, I'll wipe the slate clean. The penalty was paid. It's not like MasterCard called you and said, listen, arbitrarily, we picked your name out of the pod and we're going to forgive your credit card debt. It was intentionally it was intentionally paid by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is just. Sin had to be paid for. He's the justifier. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He named the price and paid the price. He named the price, then paid the price. And then He is the propitiation. Pro being positive. He, he had a positive act on our part. He, he changed the attitude. God's attitude toward us changed through His Son, Jesus Christ. He went, we went from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. How incredible is that? All the time. I want you to get this. All the time understanding we've got to get across in here. Well, there's one behind that screen. We've got to get it in our minds that the, the wrath of God was appeased through Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. He was pierced. God punished him for our sin. For our sin. So when John says he's the propitiation, there's a lot going on there. You kind of want to break into the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow because of what he did for us. Well, he's the propitiation for our sins. Now, now. Grab this. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You understand that? Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And you know here, you know what a sad thing? All that amazing grace, some of it's going to be wasted. 
that amazing blood we sing about Ross, some of it's going to be wasted because people will never receive God's grace and never accept God's forgiveness. Isn't that sad? And some of them will never do that because they never heard. We chose not to give them the opportunity. Isn't that sad? That sometimes we choose who hears the gospel and who doesn't. How sad is that? He's perpetuation, not for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Verse number three, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, let me pause here because, again, we really have this tendency to think that somehow God loves us more when we obey, um, you know, that, that somehow we earn his favor through that. What I wrote down here, this little sentence I wrote, um, this doesn't gain God's favor, but it does boost our confidence. Let me say it again. It doesn't gain God's favor, but it does boost our confidence. I bet some of you here tonight in this small crowd wrestle with the assurity of your salvation. Saved or not. I don't feel very saved today. That's okay. By the way, the other day I stubbed my toe, and trust me, I did not feel saved. Okay? Did not feel saved. But when we keep His commandments, again, I, this is what I started out the message with. When we keep commandments, it's not to gain His favor. But the best life possible is obeying the commands of God. And when I am walking, when I'm following the light as He is in the light, and I'm enjoying fellowship with Him and fellowship with you, in that process, and part of that is, I have confidence that I'm saved. I know, I know. I, I honestly believe the Word of God. I've said these words before. I'll say them to you tonight. If I'm not saved, then I can't be saved because I've done exactly what the Word of God said. God said, if you will turn from your sin and believe the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. I have done that. But when I see the evidence of the gospel in my life, it strengthens my confidence in my relationship with God. Does that make sense? And by the way, when I choose to sin, it weakens it. When I choose to sin, it weakens it. The confidence. Whoever says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I told Donnie, we are talking about an individual, we, in, his, in his ministry of benevolence, it's amazing the number of people, he'll, he'll go through the plan of salvation, and the person goes, I've done that. Now, do you understand that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian? Y'all too. I know you ought to. I know. Don't freak out. I know you ought to. But you do understand that. I, I get that. We place way too much emphasis on being spiritual and how often we darken the doors of a church. You need to do that. I, I understand that. But everyone he talks to virtually, oh, yeah, I've done that. Uh, do you go to church anywhere? No, no. As one guy said today, this week, you want me to pray there and pray with you about? Uh, why are you judging me for? Judging him, trying to help him. You know? Just take this one to the bank. From the old preacher. An unregenerate lifestyle just might be indicative of an unregenerate heart. There might be a reason why the person is living unregenerate. I don't care what they say. An unregenerate lifestyle is, might be a sign of an unregenerate heart. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. And that lies might cost eternity separated from God. Verse 5. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected, is matured. 
By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he ab- now listen, this is a good one. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk. I almost rise. Ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. So let me encourage you at the end of this day. We all died on the first Ellie, the extinction level event. When, when Adam died, we all died spiritually. We're separated from God. God did the second Ellie event, and that was eternal life event with the cross. And whoever puts their faith and trust in Jesus and what Christ did on the cross and turns from their sin can be forgiven. Let's enjoy, Marsha, let's enjoy the grace of God. Let's enjoy this marvelous forgiveness. Let's enjoy this wonderful life He's provided through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in the light. Let's walk in the light as He is in the light. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, thank you very much for the opportunity to share tonight. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's more than a song. It's such truth and such theology. Father, I want to pray first that the Holy Spirit would have free reign to always convict in our lives when we need that. I'm glad he's an exhorter and encourager and all of that. But I'm also glad that sometimes he convicts when we need it. So... As we leave this place tonight, as we journey, I want to pray that throughout this week that we'll walk in the light as you're in the light. Help us never be satisfied with second best. Help us never to be satisfied um, with living in a dimly lit room when you've called us into the brightness of your holiness. So I pray we'll walk in the light as you are in the light and that we'll enjoy your fellowship. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. All right.